I want to make a statement this morning, which is going to be the title of my message. And I'm going to ask you to look at your neighbor and say, everyone can succeed. Everyone. Well, I, I, I didn't feel you. If I was sitting next to you and you said that to me, I, I would just say to you, you don't believe what you're saying. So I'm going to give you a second time around, all right? I'm going to give you a second time around. Look at your neighbor and just say to them, everyone can succeed. Tell them again like you believe it. Everyone can succeed. And that is true. Everyone can succeed. No matter who you are, no matter what your background is. Regardless of what they said about you. And even the hurdles that you may be experiencing whether they are socio-political, they have to do with family, they are resource-related, everyone can succeed. And I'm very careful when I say that because I'm going to define to you what success is according to God. There are many things that we call success that are not success as far as God is concerned. I've got several main scriptures, but two in particular, 3 John 2 and Genesis 4. 3 John 2, I'm reading to you. It reads as follows, and I think I took this in the Passion Translation. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. No, this is the King James Bible. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Let me add another one that I didn't add to my notes. They'll add it there. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that you may be able to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Somebody say good success. And it's important that God qualifies that word success. He calls it good success. Because there's bad success. There's bad success. You see, in the world, when you have money, people say you are successful. But you find that you have money, but you have no peace in your heart. For you to sleep at night, you have to take a whole, you know, regiment of medicine. You've got ulcers, you're worrying. In your home, there's tension, there's friction. You've got the money, but you can't buy peace. And when you die... You go to destruction because you don't know Christ as Savior and Lord. That's bad success. Good success is when Christ is Savior of your life and Lord of your life. You've got peace in your heart. Not everything is perfect, but you've got peace in your heart. At least things are going well in your home. And you've got education and you've got money in the bank, but you don't worship the money, you worship God. That's good success. So God says... In Joshua 1.8, you will make your way successful. And the word you means you. Tell your neighbor, you means you. Tell your neighbor, you means me. 
tell your other neighbor, you means you neighbor. So everyone, everyone can succeed. In Genesis 4-7, very interesting, I'm just reading the first part in the NIV Bible, just a portion of it. And the whole story is after Cain had killed Abel, his brother, and God confronts him about it because when Cain saw Abel being accepted by God and his life moving forward, he didn't like it. Because success can bring you enemies. There are people who are okay with you when things are not working, but when things start working, all of a sudden they are funny. How many of you are sitting next to somebody who is not funny? <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> so some of you were about to raise your hand and, and, ruin, and ruin your friendship forever. <laughs> Sometimes you just get surprised all of a sudden, God, this person has changed. Because there's, there's people who can't handle it when your life moves forward. They like it. Am, am I talking to people who are alive? Yeah. Right? So the story we are reading is around that. These things don't start today. God says to Cain, the second part of verse 7, he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Let me read it to you in the New English translation from verse 6 and verse 7. Then God says to, said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your expression downcast? Is it not true that if you do what is right, you'll be fine? If you do what's right, things will work for you. But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It's desiring to dominate you, but you must subdue it. In the complete Jewish Bible, it says, if you're doing what is good, shouldn't you hold your head high? And if you don't do what's good, sin is crouching at the door. It wants you, but you can rule over it. You don't have to succumb to the spirit of jealousy. You can rule over it. You can rule over it. You can handle other people's success. Force yourself to celebrate with them. The message Bible reads, God spoke to Cain, why this tantrum? Why the sulking? If you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is lying in wait for you, ready to pounce. It's out to get you. Mara, you have got to master it. So here's the truth. Everybody wants to succeed. I, I have yet to meet somebody who doesn't want to succeed. However you define success. Okay? However you define success. I remember talking with, uh, with somebody, one of the... And this Abuti tells me that Yena in his time as a child, his ambition, his ambition and his, his measurement of success, he wanted to see himself. Now these young ones will not know what the Aroshet is. Aroshet. Look at your You must ask us all this. And then I talk about newspaper. 
and a bumper. Come on, guys. Come on now. Talk to me. Because as a child growing up, he used to see these older guys. And he said, when I grow up, I want to be like that. That was his definition of success. Everybody, you've got your own definition. You've got your own. You really would love to see your life go to another level. It could be in marriage. It could be in education. It could be in having money. It could be in running a church. Everybody wants to succeed. Now here it is, Bazana. Success, therefore, from 3 John 2, is the plan of God for humanity. God has hardwired us as human beings on the inside to want to do better. If you don't believe me, watch babies, children, when they are able to do certain things. When they start walking, and then they want to start running, when they can climb over something, you must look at their expression. And tell me if God didn't hardwire the desire to succeed on the inside of us. Well, children, when they play with things and they, are, they can't figure it out, and they get frustrated and they start crying, they're not crying because Mama Tepe, no. They're crying because they want to figure out how does this thing work. They're getting frustrated. They want to make it. And I hope some of you who have let that spark and that flame die in your spirit, I pray to God that God will bring it to life again. No matter how old you are, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how many disappointments you've had, no matter how many systems you've had to shut down, I pray that God will raise up something on the inside of you. In the name of somebody shout amen in the house. Success then comes when you do what is right according to God. But when you not only do what's right, but when you do what is right by God's standards. In other words, everybody can succeed, but we need to get success the right way. By doing the right things. We need to be successful God's way. We should measure success by God's standard, which is as follows. Number one, success is doing what God has assigned me to do. According to God. If God assigns you to do something, he doesn't normally tell you what the outcome will be. If you become faithful in what he's told you, you read in the book of Luke and many other parables, when God gives the parable of a, a, a master who sent his servants, when the master came back to evaluate the servants and to reward the servants, he did not reward ability but faithfulness. He, he looked at them and said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because some of the assignments that some of you have are difficult assignments. And it's a big mistake if you're going to measure your success by certain outcomes and not only by being faithful to the call. You've got to give your all to what God has assigned you to do. And sometimes the outcome might not be what you like. Now, I'm not making an excuse for things not working. I'm just telling you there are times, like I said last week, when things don't work out well, not because you're out of God's will, but because you're in God's will. I would ask all of you, in your own leisure, read the book of Jeremiah. Read it, the whole chapter. 
and read the story of Jeremiah. It's an incredible story for me. I think the first time I heard somebody talk about the story, I'd never seen it from that perspective. Jeremiah, as a young leader, God comes to him and God assigns him. And because he's young and impressionable, he's full of vim, vigor, and vitality, he answers the call with passion. God says, who shall I send? He says, here am I, Lord, send me. Don't go anywhere else. And God sends him, go speak to the children of Israel, and God says, don't worry about their faces there. Don't worry the way they react. But you see, when you are young, even when you are warned, and when you are advised, you don't listen because your passion. You know, it's almost like when you are advising people who are about to get married. You know, and you are trying to advise them, and you can see they are looking at each other lovingly. They are not listening to you because they are thinking, we don't need all this. We are in love, babe. <laughs> we are here, babe. How many of you are sitting next to your babe and you are saying, we are here, babe? <laughs> so you can see this too, instead of listening to you. They think you, you don't know what you're talking about because you've been married too long. So poor. Come on now. They think your flame has died out. Now you don't know what I'm talking about. Now you're warning us about all these things. I see young ministers go into ministry and I try to advise them and you can see they're listening to me but they're not listening. They're bored. They're in their heart. They're saying, when is he keeping quiet? I've got fire. I've got anointing. I've got power. Jeremiah was like that. God told him, don't look at their faces, don't look at their faces. He says, nah, zing zong. <laughs> and then he goes on his first assignment, and then he experiences the rough experience. They take him, throw him in boiling oil, they stone him, they do all kinds of things. He comes back all rugged, comes back to God, then he goes to God, he says, but you didn't tell me. <laughs> no, I told you, you just thought you were not listening. And then he goes, and then he now in his heart, you know, when you've had that experience, you feel so disappointed that it didn't work, that you don't want to try again. Some of you don't want to try again. You've given up on life. You've given up on your God assignment. You've given up on something good. You've given up on pushing for success. You've given up. You've given up because you've had a bitter experience. You've given up because you failed. You've given up because it didn't work the way you thought. You've given up. But what you don't understand is the path of success is lined with many failures. The path of success has many heartbreaks, many failed projects, many nkalagabushas, many nyabuya. Many saying she's a Many say Many say But that's the path of success. So Jeremiah comes back to God, and you can almost tell when you read the tone in his voice. He's kind of saying, I hope you're not sending me there again. <laughs> and God says, No, for it. Go, go back. <laughs> and he goes back, and they do the same thing to him. And then you read it as you go more in the book of Jeremiah. There's a chapter where the guy, I'll say it in, in the language of jazz, he's blue. He's like he's singing the blues. You can, can tell the guy is, is, is bitter, but most of all, he's depressed. And he starts talking to himself, thinking aloud, not even realizing he's talking aloud that others can hear him. And he starts cursing everything. He says, cursed be the day on which I was born. 
Cursed be the man who announced my birth. Cursed be, and he starts cursing everything. Because now he's realized that success is not what he thought. But then God takes him on a journey and God starts talking to him. And then Jeremiah realizes, by the way, I'm just doing what God told me. The outcome might not be what I expected. But I'm doing what God told me. And that's all that God wants from me. I'm doing what God's told me. And if I'm doing what God has told me, I've got to be successful. And then as you read later, this is where the words, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. He writes, and when he writes, he says, I've realized, no matter how much you are battered and bruised, God's love never ceases. And and no matter how much you are battered and bruised, God's going to give you a new day. His mercies are new every morning. Can I hear an amen from somebody? You may have had a difficult day yesterday, but you've got today, and God's mercies are new every morning. So Jeremiah says, I'm going to take this mission one day at a time. I'm going to wake up every morning with a new determination. I'm going to wake up every morning with a heart to do God's will. I'm going to wake up every morning and I'm going to throw myself to the will of God. His mercies are new every morning. Then he says, great is your faithfulness. He says, God's not going to let you drown. He's not going to let you fall. He's faithful when he sends you to go and do something. Yours is just do what he has told you to do. Some of you parents, you have a difficult assignment to raise children. And bear your soul in raising children. Work yourself almost to a nervous breakdown. Raising them and when they grow up, they show you the middle finger. I ask you this morning, don't feel like a failure. You are a success because you did what God has told you to do. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. So success is doing what God has told you to do. And I can tell you in having pastored now, they were reminding me in the meeting yesterday, in the council meeting, by God's grace, Bazala, next year, it will be 40 years being pastor of this church. Can you imagine? <laughs> 40 years leading the church. But I can tell you in these 40 years, I've got scars to show. <laughs> there are years that were difficult here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Difficult, yes. But you know what I did every morning? I woke up and I threw myself at the work of God. Yeah. I've known in these 40 years, sometimes you don't know how things are going to turn out. Sometimes the people you invest in end up becoming your worst enemies. They make yourself their enemy. They turn and bite you and hurt you and malign you. If you allow that cane to go into your heart, sin is crouching at the door. But if you say, I'm going to be faithful to the call, 
I don't care about the outcome. Because the reward doesn't come from people. My reward is the day I stand before my Savior. And I want to hear the words, well done. Good and faithful servant. You are faithful. Faithful through the tough times. Faithful through the tears. Faithful when you are misunderstood. Faithful when they were writing stories about you. You are faithful. You never opened your mouth. You kept your word. Some of you, that's the assignment you have. You are carrying your whole family and the broader family. You are the first place they come to for help. And after you help them, they turn around and bite you. Measure success by doing what God has assigned you to do. Secondly, measure success by using the talents that have been entrusted to you. In Matthew 25, the Lord comes back and he makes a demand on the servants. He says, I want to see the talents I gave you if you were able to grow what I gave you. Some of you don't use your gifts. You are sitting on your gifts. God's graced you with gifts, talents, abilities, but you're not using it. You're not using it in church. You're not using it in your career. You're not using it in your home. You're sitting on it. And in Matthew 25, we note that the, the king will always come and want to see if we were increasing or if we increased what he gave us. The only way to increase what God's given you is to use it for the benefit of others. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And according to God, that's success. Not money. Money comes as a byproduct. Not fame. Ah, fame comes as a byproduct. The Bible says your gift will make room for you and it will bring you before kings. But you've got to work the gift. You don't chase after the fame. You chase after being successful in God's terms. Am I preaching to people who are alive here? So we need to avoid the trap that Cain fell into. God says to him, if you do what's right, if you commit to being faithful to your assignment, things will be fine. But if you don't, sin is hanging at the door. It's a trap. It will trap you. What are the traps that we must avoid? Cain got into these traps when he saw his brother succeeding. Number one, the trap of failure to understand our different God-given capacities. We don't have the same capacity. There will always be somebody who has more than you. And there will always be somebody who has less than you. That's why when Paul preaches, he says, I want to apprehend what Christ has apprehended for me. What is he saying? He says, I want to measure myself against God's model for me. God has already made a model of what I should look like. I want to stand next to that model and check if I'm matching up to what God's dream is about me. I'm not going to try and look at the other person and match myself with them. Because if I do that, I'm going to be in trouble. So if you don't want to fall into a trap, understand that. 
You've got to understand that God gives people different capacities. Now, I'm not excusing not working hard. We all work hard. We all pray. We should all work hard, Pastor. You should work hard. I mean, hey, hard work is not, is not, is not, it's something we must all do. We must work hard. We must be faithful and everything. But our capacities will never be the same. Secondly, the trap of being, or should I say be? Okay, so I'm talking to you knowledgeable people. So the traps, that can A, failure to understand our different God, B, the trap of being irritated when you see the grace of success resting on your brother's life. Joseph experienced that. His brothers were fine with him until he succeeded. David was okay with that. Saul was okay with David until David killed Goliath. So when you see somebody being elevated by God before you, watch. Don't fall into the trap. See the trap of bitterness. There are people who are bitter with God. They are bitter with life. They feel sorry for themselves. I think some of you must just get over it. Every day, they feel like they've received the short stick of life. Always saying, now, Namara, Mudimuna, hey. I've hung around some of those people. I've seen. Most of them, it's not because they got the short end of the stick, it's because they didn't have what it took to commit themselves to doing what they should be doing. And then they're complaining. Listen to me, if you are mistreated by your dad when you are five years old, now the brother has passed on. You are 50 years old and you are still talking about that thing. I said, come on, just, just get over it. Haven't you realized that life is not fair by now? Haven't you realized that you are 50 years old? I mean, I tell me at 50, you still don't understand that people can be unfair, people can be brutal, people can make remarks that are not okay. Are you telling me at 50, you are still talking like you are 15? Just get over it. There are people who live like life owes them something. Always blaming their dad, their mom. At 50. Hey, Chwada, too. You're still talking about it like it happened yesterday. Please go get therapy, too. And then Utlamona for deliverance. Just get over it. Just get over it. There are many people who are making it in life who life was never a bed of roses for them. You know, I always love watching documentaries and so on and some of these uh, shows, Lidibitsang, reality shows, particularly around people who have made it and succeeded and some of these places where like Britain's Got Talent, America. And then you see this guy, there's this one guy who had a disability. His arms were, I don't know what you call that condition, they were short, his fingers were not properly formed, 
And he came up. I think it was on America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent. And he stood there. And the people were quite like, you're quiet now because you see, you see, you see already, already, you are psyching yourself. Oh, what is he going to say now? They were quite just like you. And he stood there. And he was a comedian. And he started making fun of himself. And the people were not sure if they should laugh. <laughs> or they shouldn't laugh. <laughs> One of our local comedians that I won't mention by name. I was listening to him one time and on one of the shows he did that's recorded on, it's on, it's on, it's on Google, I think. And he mentions that he was doing a show in one of the provinces and one guy with a disability came and asked him, I realize you never make jokes about us deaf people. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, he had a hearing impediment. He, he wasn't totally deaf, but he could. And he said, I, I, I'm not sure. He, he said, this guy said, why? He said, I tried to evade it. The guy said, just tell me why. He said, well, you know, he said, this guy, he said, before I could finish the sentence, he says, it's not that we don't know we're deaf. We know. <laughs> then at the end, he says, just get over it and just make the jokes. <laughs> the guy said, I've, I've already, I've had too much fun made out of me that I am callous. I don't even react anymore. I know this is what I carry. And for your information, I am not disabled. I'm just differently abled. And I thought, wow. You see people with disabilities getting up and doing something of your life. Where now? Not a single thing wrong with you except your uncle who said something to you when you were five years old. Just get over it. Get over it. Stop being bitter with life. Stop being bitter with your neighbors, bitter with your employer, bitter with your pastor. Bitter. Some of you, you're just bitter with everything. You're not going to get married anymore because you had a bitter marriage. You're not going to have a relationship anymore because we lack a damper. You're not going to pass a church anymore because the church members mistreated you. Just get over it. Don't walk around with life like you're a time bomb, ready to unleash bitterness. And go on this sad story. Now, let this be like a open heart surgery of the Holy Ghost among us. But get off bitterness in the name of Jesus. Move on. Deal with it. Bitterness will hold you back. Bitterness will make you have a different perspective of life. You'll always be sitting in your corner feeling sorry of yourself. When other people are moving on in life, we have had the same challenge as you. Same challenge as you. Same background. You can have children grow up in the same home. Same parents. Same everything. The one is so bitter. The other one is making it. Now, I know some of you, psychiatrists and psychologists, you always want to give people a reason why they are the way they are. And you want them to feel comfortable about it, some of you. And I tell people, fine, let them help you understand the problem. Mara, don't allow them to lock you into 
saying you must be feeling like this for the rest of your life. They are busy pumping you with medication. Kikupa, please do. Please do. Make something of your life. Come on, come on, somebody. Come on. Am I, am I preaching? Just make, make something of your life. Make something of your life. Make something of your life. The trap of jealousy, the trap of depression. And when people are in depression, they become indifference and they justify failure. That, that's a trap. You know, there are people who, you know, they, 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 their battery is gone. They are not even on one bar. I mean, you, you can't vuselela them. They're just dead. Just, and they justify failure. They, they are happy to fail. They, they know how to explain. They can give reasons. They have a lot of ukshugutis. What about the trap of isolating yourself? And, and people start living these isolated lives, feeling sorry for themselves in their little corner. <clears throat> Being very indifferent with life and taking their dreams and burying them. That's not the way. Sure, my time. Simply put, Barcelona, we are the ones who determine whether we succeed or not. And God will bless our effort. God says, if you do what's right, okay, if you do what's right, success will be the result. He didn't say you won't have problems. You will succeed. Mixed with all the other things. Because God has already stated he wishes above all things that we may prosper. If you resort to behaving like Cain, then success will be elusive. Now, there are several truths that we must settle in our hearts, and I'll go through them quickly because of time. Settle these truths in your heart. Number one, God has already stated and declared that he wants me to succeed. Settle it in your heart. My mother used to say, Kifiditele moyawak. My grandmother used to say, Kantentlar. Huh? Just settle that. What do I mean? Don't allow anyone to make you believe otherwise. God wants me to succeed. It's a subtle thing. I don't have to ask. I don't have to pray about it. I don't have to wander around it. I'm accepting it as true. God wants me to succeed. So it means anything I'm from now, I'm moving from the premise that God wants me to succeed. I don't even have to argue that. I don't even have to pray about that anymore. God wants me to succeed. You know, my son, and I'm being honest with you. I was praying about it one day. And this is where positive role modeling is so important. I'll share with you for whatever it's worth. I wasn't raised in a rich home or whatever. But, you know, by the grace of God, my sister's here and my sisters are here. We were raised in a good home with a mom who loved us, took care of us, took care of the home. Incredible house manager she was. Very organized lady, you know. And a dad who loved our mom, who was a great man, worked hard to support his family. And so, in my mind, just looking at that, without anything, I just never saw myself failing in life. To be honest with you. I don't ever remember in my mind thinking I'll be poor when I grow up. Now, I'm not, I'm, please, please, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say, and it's in my notes here, when you're in an environment that speaks certain things to you. So I grew up in an environment of seeing a man who doesn't abuse his wife. A man who doesn't abuse his daughters. I mean, I have four sisters. My dad used to take care of them. Love them. So when you grow up around that, 
you, you think it's normal in Jena with women folks without zing-zonging them. You think it's normal to love your wife. You think it's normal to have a good, healthy family. You, you, you just think. And I know we all don't have the same privilege, and I understand that. But what I'm trying to say is there are certain things you must settle in your hearts. Even if your experience has been different, settle this one in your heart once and for all. God wants me to succeed. Maybe you may not have the privilege that some of us have had to have had positive role modeling. Maybe everything around you as you grew up spoke about failure. Maybe everything around you was so difficult, so challenging, that it's kind of hard to see yourself in a different light, to see yourself, your life in, I, I accept that. And I don't want to underplay that. But on the basis of God's word, not on what I'm saying, on the basis of the Bible, on the basis of that says the Lord, settle it in your heart once and for all. God wants me to succeed. That's the first thing. Second thing you need to do is God wants me to succeed. Number two, God has already made a provision for me to succeed. He's already made a provision. God says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. God says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I've appointed you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. God says, for you are his workmanship. <laughs> the complete Jewish Bible says, for we are God's making. Created in union with the Messiah Yeshua for a life of good actions already prepared by God for us to do. Uh, God has prepared that life for you. Here's what I want to say as I close. Commit to a journey of self-development, therefore. Commit to a journey of self-development. Invest in your personal development. Why? Because everybody wins when you get better. Or, if you are already succeeding, whatever level of growth you are at now, you can still get better. If you are running one church, you can run two churches. If you are running one business, you can run two businesses. Luke 2.52 is a very incredible scripture. It says, and Jesus increased. In three things. Yeah, you got me there. In Sophia, wisdom. In stature, number two. In favor with God and favor with men. That word increased means to drive forward. To advance. To grow in time. To be well along. God wants you to grow. God wants you to get to a better place. Some of you have stopped growing. You've stagnated. Because you're not investing in your personal development. Salwa kreya degree early. Hufedi. Hufedi, you're not doing any extra thing. Ever since you knew certain verses of the Bible, there's no more that you're learning in the Bible. You're not growing. You're not growing. <laughs> the sermon. <laughs> I, maybe I'll finish it next week, Bazalan. Otherwise, I'm going to rob you. But next week, am I here next week? Next week. 
Okay, if Kisiteng, whoever is going to preach Kitlamofa Semonena, I rerene. But let's quickly go to those three words. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom. Is that word that the brother said, Sophia? And that word, wisdom, it doesn't mean having a lot of book learning or technical skills or knowledge about complicated subjects. But this word wisdom in scripture is always practical. Somebody say practical. But this word wisdom in scripture, watch this now, is the ability to cope with situations of life. That's wisdom. We can have book learning sometimes and be terrible at living life. And we can't cope with life. Somebody can have a degree, be qualified well in BCom, but never be able to make ends meet financially. I know you don't like my sermon, but I'm going to preach it. The ability to cope with the situations of life, the ability to handle relationships, deal with spiritual and moral issues. In other words, wisdom helps us make good decisions in life. And Jesus increased in wisdom. You can't, even now, 50 sons are no paisal. You don't know how one toilet you affect. You mean you? And the sons are not alone. Yeah, man. Connect the wrong man. But Jesus increased in wisdom, in living life practically. Bazalana, life does not need a certificate to live it. Life needs you to understand the lessons that life teaches you. Our parents are the best example of that. They didn't have the education we have, but they were able to raise a family of five children, eight children, take us all to school, love us, teach us what we know today. Keep a family going on. Stay married until they all go to heaven. Runa with all we have. We can't even move for one month. I remember when I started working, I used to ask myself before to how my dad did it. Serious. Serious. First salary, Kairu poo-poo. First salary, gone. Because I told my dad when I started working, I said, I wanted to get married. He said to me, all right, you need to open a separate bank account, save up money for Lobola. And I said, I'll do it. So you know, my dad had a very interesting way of teaching. So a year later, he comes back to me, he says, well, a year ago, we spoke about, you know. No, for me, I bought cassettes and books. At least it was in my knowledge that I invested. But I didn't even have one cent. They didn't save up one cent. And I was staying at home. My parents were nice to let me stay at home. I used to pay boarding and lodging, which was not a lot of money, really. I mean, it was more of the principle behind and not the amount. Just to learn to be responsible. Then I had all, and then I would pay my fees at, 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 at Bible school, at Bible college. And then the rest was for me. But the brother blew the money. <laughs> hey! <laughs> yeah? I blew it. <laughs> I told you, I blew the money. Hey! When my dad called me at the end of the year, 
That conversation changed me. I tell you, I'm learning wisdom. I'm learning the practicality of knowing how to handle money. That when you have your pocket full of money, you don't go on a spending spree. I learned a discipline that today, even in our church, I'm using it. That's why, by God's grace, you see, we have the things we have. The same thing I learned when I was young. I've transported it here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In our own life, my wife and I, thank God she learned the same thing when she was young. We used it in our own house, in our own lives. In our own lives, in spite of the little salary we got when we started, we just took those principles and applied. It's wisdom. See, so some of you think to be able to succeed in life, you must have a pocket full of money. No. No, 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 no. You must just know how to use what you've got. Listen to me. Here's one principle. If you don't spend more than what you have, then what about right? If we have a chonisa, what a chona. Simple, brother. You don't, you, don't, you don't have to. You don't have to. Let me give you a simple thing. Living on credit is the worst thing you can do. Now, we use credit when we start because we have a lot of needs. You use it as a starter pair. But get credit that you can repay. Maybe get credit to build up your credit record so that you can borrow more as long as you're able to repay. But I don't understand you, Ulo Swiper Cut, or Akaburotoko Woolies. I don't understand you, and then you put it on. You know, and then you pay it after a month and then you have got interest on something that costs 10 rands or 15 rands. I've never understood Uraka. I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm looking at you, man. I don't understand. How can Uraka Murotoka cut? 16 rands, Uraka cut, Waswaipa, Buroto. Yeah, man. Couldn't do wrong, man. But the fallacy that people have is to think because it's going through, you have the money. No, you don't have the money. The only money you have is the one that remains after you've paid all your debts. That's what you have. As long as it's not paid off, it doesn't belong to you. Even if you call it yours, your car, your house, even the clothes too, they're paying. What do you call Otama? So trim, trim, trim to your reality. Don't, and we live in a world that loves to impress. Some of you, you like wearing labels. Oh, I'm going to preach now. I see you are getting quiet on me. What's the use of a label from head to toe and everything you have while colored? And you can't even pay it at the end of the month. And then at the end of the month, you switch off your phone. You don't want anybody to get hold of you because you, yeah, you're, you are laughing out of revelation. You can see you're laughing out because you know what Bishop is talking about. You won't accept it, but you know what you're talking about. That lesson from my dad taught me, Mosa, don't spend more than what you have. You know what I used to do when I went to work? I used to, I used to, Nikita, Nikita's kaftin. Sandwich kohai. Brown bread, peanut butter, cheese, and milk. Uh, yeah. We didn't even know it back then what it was called. We used to call it humbuga. That's a hamburger. We used to call it humbuga. And you see people buying the humbuga. And, and, and I mean, what they are paying for the humbuga in one day is what it costs me to have my, my, my peanut butter and bread for the whole month. And they're blowing it in one day. And they don't have it and they rely on credit. 
I said, you can humbuga. <laughs> Our brown bread and peanut butter and cheese and milk. Learn that. Learn. Went through school, paid my debts, paid all what I owed, started saving up money, and bit by bit, then bit by bit, then I had, I had, I had more money than needs. And when we got married, my wife and I, we didn't have a place to stay. We couldn't afford to buy a house in Sobetu. We went to a back room. I was running a church of 2,000 people. The salary I was earning at the time, I couldn't buy a house. Couldn't buy a house. So we decided, all right, we'll go to a back room. I don't remember how much we were paying then. We'll stay there. You know, we started. And in this one-room house, saved up money, bought ourselves a house in Loli, put in a good deposit. I think the house was 80,000 rands or 70,000 rands when money was money. I'm telling you. The house was 70,000 when money was money. We put down a deposit, if I remember, 20,000 rands that we had saved up or 30,000 rands. Then we went and took a loan of 40,000 rands and paid it off in two years and sold the house for 80,000. And some of you are going to go to the house. And when you blew off your money, I was increasing in wisdom. Learning. Learning. Jesus increased in wisdom. I see you increasing in wisdom. I said, I see you increasing in wisdom. Come on, I'm prophesying over you. I said, I see you increasing in wisdom. You can succeed where you are. You don't have to be. That's the same thing we did when we built the church. We saved up money. 18 years, we saved up money. We saved up money. This place, when we, we saved up 18 million rands. Yeah, we started with the offering. When I started taking the church over, I said, from now on, we are going to give offering and we're going to give building fund. I never told people how much they must give. I said, just give. We took the money, put it in the bank, put it in investments, you know, good investments, grew the money. By the time we came, we had 18 million rents. So we thought this building was going to cost us 18 million, this first phase. Unfortunately, it cost us 23 million rents. So we had to go and get a loan of 5 million. So I used the same thing I learned in my life. I don't know why I'm telling you all this. Maybe somebody needs to hear this this morning. We went to the banks, all the banks showed us the middle finger. They wouldn't lend us money. Because they said we are redlined. I didn't even know. I went around there, there was no red line. There was nothing red here. I didn't even know what the word red line means. But when they built Maponya Mall, they never asked them that question. Anyhow, politicking. But they said we are redlined. I don't know, but I don't know how God works. And I'm saying this for your purpose. I pray that this will be on your life. You see, when you do what is right, when you trust God, God will always know how to connect you. Somehow, somebody told somebody who told somebody through somebody, via somebody, because of somebody, under somebody, in the case of another person, of another somebody, and we were phoned by this, com- this lady who is in our church. We started in Mafikeng and such. I overheard that you people are looking for a loan. Hey, this, these are days when cell phones were not there. I said, how did you know? She said, don't worry. I just had via somebody, in somebody, through somebody, under somebody, what I had. She said, I'm working for future growth. 
It's not a bank, but they handle the insurances, the money of other people, and they invest it, and they, are, they don't mind helping you out and giving you a loan yeah. of five million. And I said, yeah, we'll have it, please. <laughs> but the conditions were not easy. When they signed the loan, we had to sign our houses away. I signed off my house. They said, if you don't pay off the loan, we take your house. Sign off our houses. We had to sign contracts that were not going to divide the church. So many things that were insulting, in my view. They had to attend our meetings. These people were future growth. They had to have minutes of the trainer. Hey! But I said, for the sake of the people I lead, no signs. I'll never forget in October, I think it was the 26th of October, 2001, when I stood on the stage, it wasn't as big stood here, and we had built a building, and when I looked at people's faces, my goodness, when I saw the hope in people's faces that they could build a building in Soweto, even if we had a debt of five million, when I looked at them, I said, I know these people will help us repay this. And I sat down with the board and I said, board, we're going to be wise with how we use the money of the church. We're going to set aside so much every month. We're going to repay this loan so much. They've given us a repayment period of 10 to 15 years. We're going to pay it off in two years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I said to them, I'm not only happy for people to come and see the beautiful building. I want to show them the title deed. Because even if Riba Tubakom Chondol or even if Riba Tubako Kasi, we can still succeed. And we paid off the loan. I remember Murtifani was our financial manager at the time. We paid off and paid off and paid off. When we took the last installment, Papa you are paying it off. I said, Yeah, we're paying it off. They said, No, 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 no. There are penalties. You are not allowed to pay it off until a certain time has elapsed. I said, that's fine. I said, fine, fine. Pay all of it. Leave one rant. We still owe them. Technically speaking, we owe them. I said, just leave one rant. They can make interest on that one rant. So we paid off. We just left one rant. We owe them one rant. Technically speaking, I haven't paid it off. So they can make all the interest. Because remember, a loan, works, uh, they, they, they actually charge interest on your balance. So if your balance is one rand, then they can have interest on that. After three months, they came back. They said, all right, all right, all right, all right, Pastor Son. We waive all the penalties. You can pay it off. Come on, somebody give the Lord a shout and celebrate. I'm talking about wisdom. I'm talking about a church that started with 35 people. I'm talking about a church where the first offering was 130 rands. That's what I'm talking about. I see that wisdom on your life in the name of Jesus. Oh, yeah. Paid it off. Now, I remember when I came here to show the people the title deed. Let me tell you the story of that, Bazala. Did you know something? Many of you won't know this. Since we built this building, our people have never been the same. I saw our people getting into business. I saw them starting businesses. I saw them rising up as entrepreneurs. I saw people believing. Not only that, other pastors came from other places to see this church. They've built their churches now. The churches are standing there. Don't underestimate what God can do through your life. 
When you begin to succeed, you begin to show other people, even if my start was not good, even if my background was not good, I'm not going to be like Cain. I'm going to do what is right and I'm going to make it in the name of Jesus. I see you making it in the name of Jesus. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now today, we've bought several churches. Let me say it like they say it in West Africa. Cash. Cash. You see us now? I wish you could see us then. I wish you see 35 of us in a classroom. In Isaacson Higher Primary. I wish you could see the offering we had. 130, 120 rands. It was 120 rands. That's all the offering was. Not for that day, for the month. But in that 120 rands, there was the potential for greater things. Some of you have not realized how your small beginnings carry a big destiny on the inside. But you haven't put a plan to grow. Oh, you are coasting along in life blaming everything and blaming everybody and looking all around and saying God is just watching from heaven watching what you're going to do it if you will have the discipline to grow put yourself on a development path there's more to you than what you realize uh, if I was you I would give the Lord a big shout and a big praise Ah. Ah. <laughs> Jesus. So you know what my prayer is for you? Push aside all the excuses. Look at yourself in the mirror. Say you. You can succeed by the grace of God. Less than on our faith, please. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you. Bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here for the first time and you've been invited or you've come on your own, as you've been listening to the word of God, you realize only God changes lives. Only God is able to give a new start. And you want to give your life to Christ today and say, Jesus, would you come into my heart? Maybe you lived for Christ and you had received Christ, but you got disillusioned on the way and you walked away. You turned your back on Christ, but today you want to recommit and rededicate your life to Christ. And you want me to pray for you. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Whether it's your first time to receive Christ or you're rededicating your life, any of those categories, maybe you got discouraged and just stopped living for God. And you need prayer now. Would you raise your hand right where you are? Just raise it high. Let me see it. I want to pray for you. Thank you for those hands. God bless you. All right. Can I ask the people who raise their hands? I want to pray for you. Would you please come from where you are standing? Take all your belongings. Just walk to the front. And I want to pray for you, please. Give them a big hand. Give them a big hand.